You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Good morning, church family. How y'all doing this morning? Uh, so we're actually going to be in Psalms this morning, if you couldn't tell that already. Um, so as you turn there uh, in your Bible, we've um, got some extra copies of the Word in the back if you need to follow along with uh, a paper copy. As you turn to Psalm 34 this morning, I just wanted to tell you something real quick. Um, it goes along with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Uh, a few years ago, my grandpa, we called him Poppy, he passed away. But one of the things that I loved about him, he knew the Lord, is that he was just so unintentionally funny a lot of the time. Um, and you say, like, what do I mean by that? It's like, he wasn't trying to be, but he had like this disposition where the slightest inconvenience, instantly grumpy. That was him. <laughs> and so like us kids, like we love to hang out with him because he just had something to say about everything. Um, and this one time we were meeting up at this restaurant and I remember I, in my mind, I was like, he likes this restaurant. He chose this restaurant. And we get to this restaurant and as we're like looking at the menu and everything, um, one of the things that he says to me is, I think I'm gonna order two eggs, two fried eggs, one of them so rubbery so hard that it's hard to chew. The other one so runny at the yolk that it might slip off the plate and burst on the floor. I'm um, gonna order two pieces of bacon, one so rubbery that I can hardly chew it, and the other so crispy, so overcooked that I might chip a tooth on a piece of bacon. And he keeps going down this list of things that he's gonna order, and I'm like, well, what's going on here? And so I, he finishes and I tell him, like, that seems like complicated to remember. Like when the, <laughs> when the waiter comes over here and like gets our order, if you tell him all that, it's like, I don't know if he's going to remember it. And he looks at me and he, he literally says, it shouldn't be that hard. This is literally what they gave me last time I came. So <laughs> uh, and I'm like thinking about that. And as I was reading this uh, text this week, um, one of the things that you'll see that we're going to pull out a bunch in verse 8 of Psalm 34, it says, taste and see. That's what David is saying um, to the men around him. Taste and see. And in my mind, I'm thinking about the text. I'm thinking about this moment that I had with my grandfather. Um, and I'm thinking sometimes it's hard to say taste and see to people because they think they've experienced already. They think that they've already done a whole lot of tasting and not a whole lot of seeing, right? Um, and so that might be difficult for us as, as we're reading this text to kind of bridge that gap and say, well, maybe in my own life, I've experienced the goodness of God. I've seen how he can change situations around. He can turn graves into gardens like that song we just sang. But at the end of the day, it is us who, when we're, when we're pleading with these people around us that they taste and see the goodness of God too, they have a difficulty bridging that gap and seeing, I feel like I've experienced a whole lot already and it's just been one bad thing after the next. Um, and so, like I said, we're gonna be in Psalm 34 this morning. And one thing that I want you to see is that once you taste and see, you become radiant and unashamed. You're saying, like, what do I mean by those two things? How are those connected? And we're going to get into that. Um, but first, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background here. Uh, we've been in Psalms a lot already, so you've probably heard week after week that uh, many of these Psalms were written by David. And the same thing is true of Psalm 34. And just a little bit of context for this situation, um, these verses here that David has written down, this context is that he has been fleeing from Saul, right? King Saul, um, who's coming after his life because... Uh, David is supposed to be the next king, right? Um, not technically by lineage or by the way that culture would understand things. Technically, King Saul, his son, should be the king after him. But we see that David has this anointing that the Lord has placed on him. And so even though King Saul has his own lineage, God has taken 
the monarchy, the leadership of the nation from Saul, and he's giving it to David. And so David is fleeing for his life. Um, he knows that he uh, is probably going to be killed if King Saul catches him. And so he's fleeing, and he finds himself in the city of Gath. And this city is a Philistine city. And so you might catch on to that word Philistine and think, that sounds familiar. Well, that's because uh, we think about the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. Like these were the enemies of uh, the, the nation of Israel. And so David finds himself fleeing from somebody who's supposed to you know, be protecting him as his king. And he finds himself in enemy territory. Uh, and the scripture says that he finds himself in the presence of Abimelech, which is not just a, not a name, but it's more of like a title given to a ruler in that city. And so of course, Abimelech is like, who is this guy? He looks like an Israelite. Um, and so David starts to fear for his own life in that situation as well. So it's just gone from bad to worse. And uh, one of the things that we see in context is that he has to pretend to be mad. He has to feign like he's a crazy person to get out of that situation. Um, and as I was reading that too this week, I thought that was a little bit funny as well, because I mean, I remember growing up, one of the things that my parents would hate was my favorite saying, my favorite thing to say back to them if I, was, I knew I was like in a life-threatening situation, right, was just, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Pretend I had no clue what was going on. Um, and I'm surprised it worked for David, because that usually didn't work for me. So uh, one thing that we see is that he finally makes it out of this situation. The Lord allows him to escape. And then he finds himself in a cave surrounded by, it says, other desperate men in despair. And we don't know their situations, but we know that David is in a cave. They're hiding out in a cave. And so whatever it is that they've gone through, we don't have to know the specifics. It's probably pretty bad, right? I don't know if you've ever found yourself hiding in a cave, but I would like to know what led to that point. <laughs> but we don't know what led to that point for these men. Um, what we see is that David finds himself in that situation, and these other men are there right along with him, even though they're not experiencing the same thing, there might be similar levels of distress that they're in. Uh, and what's amazing is that even though he narrowly escapes, he finds himself in this cave, things have gone from bad to worse to even worse seemingly having to hide out in this cave. The picture that these verses portray show that his demeanor is likely very different from that of the men that he finds himself with. Um, these other men, they're, they're wallowing, they're despairing. Uh, and like, like I said, we don't know exactly why, but we know that they're hurting, they're, they're suffering. Um, but David, in this situation, he goes on, um, if we read in the verses, this is what David says while he's in this cave. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those, to, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. I'm sorry, I'm skipping. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, if you're like me, when you're reading these verses, if you're, if you're not given that context, you probably have no clue that this is the situation that David's in, right? I mean, you're, you're reading this and you're like, man, that just sounds like a worship song. Like he was probably uh, at the temple. He was probably worshiping, fellowshipping with uh, his fellow Israelites, right? But that's not the situation at all. And so what we see is that David chooses to find his identity in who God has told him he is and what he has promised him, even though those other men did not. And that's the difference there. And so 
First we see, do the people in your life know God by your faith? Because even if, if, even if these other men had never once heard the name of God, didn't have any clue who David was talking about, they recognized that there was a God because of David's, the way he responded to the situation that he found himself in. <clears throat> if we continue along, um, David showed them his God simply by the way that he was choosing to react uh, to his circumstances. So what's amazing here um, is in verse three, we see something cool, but before that, I've got something on me that I found this week. How many of y'all know what this is? Yeah? Not a whole lot of confused looks, that's good. Um, one of the things I'd like to point out is there's probably two types of people in this room. One of you, one of those types of people, go, oh, magnifying glass. I'm looking at that and I think immediately of like Sherlock Holmes. I love like Clue, the board game. Love like investigations, uh, the first 48, those kind of things. So that's, that's your cup of tea. And the other group of people we should put on a list because their first uh, thing on their mind was, oh, that's the thing that I used to send ants to, the, to an early grave as a kid. <laughs> and I look at this and I think, this is actually such a cool instrument, right? I mean, if you're using this along, um, say you've got a piece of paper in front of you and you're looking and you're having a hard time reading maybe what's on the paper, this magnifying glass takes what's on this paper and a lot of people would make this mistake. It doesn't make the words bigger. Right? It doesn't take what you're looking at and make it any bigger than it already is. It's not changing the size in any way. What it is doing, it is changing your perspective of what is already there. And so we look and we see that in verse three, one of the things that David calls these men around him to do, he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so as he's calling these men to magnify God, he's not saying that they have any control over how big God is over what God can do for them, over what God might already be doing in their situation. But what he is saying is you can take a step back and by magnifying the Lord, change your perspective to see that even though you feel out of control, God is still there. He's still working um, and he wants to do great things. And so we continue on in these verses. We see that verse uh, four says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And so far, We've seen that David has said, I do this, I do this, I do this. And now in verse five, he says, those who look on him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. And so verse five actually does two different things. The first of these things is that David switches the language from I, that first personal pronoun, to they. There And so you're, you're, you're looking at this and you're like, well, that's kind of weird to switch up in the middle. But one of the things that it does is David is saying that this experience of God that he has is not just his alone. Like, yes, they could take his word for it, but they don't have to take just his word for it. First, they could look and see that so many other people, even before David, have already had this experience of God where they are tasting and seeing his goodness, even in their uncontrollable, dire situations at times. And then secondly, we see that as they're looking um, to David and as he switches from I to they, we see that this is something that is promised for the future as well. David is not the last person who is ever going to call on the Lord, who's ever going to experience these things. Um, and what he's actually calling them to do is to experience it for themselves. 
So not only do they not have to take his word for it alone, but they can come, they can taste and see for themselves. And then we see, um, it, it, verse five says, they become radiant. And this is where that point comes into focus, right? Once you taste and see, you become radiant. You become un unashamed. That first word, radiant, what does it mean to be radiant? Um, one of the things that I love to use as an example um, in talking about radiance is that the sun gives off light, right? But then at nighttime, if you ask a kid, ask somebody who doesn't really understand the nature between the, the sun and the moon, what gives light at night, they would say the moon. And they're not totally incorrect by that because the moon is giving light, right? But that light is not coming from the moon itself. That light had an origination and that light came from the sun. The moon is reflecting that light. And so when we look at that kind of example, we see that's kind of crazy. No wonder people, you know, before uh, the scientific revolution thought that the moon gave its own light is because when you look at it, it's so bright and it's able to give off light. But that is exactly what we're called to do as well. We don't have light in and of ourselves, but when we reflect the light of the sun, Jesus, God's son, when we reflect his light, other people around us see it. And we're able to shine light, not because of anything we are, but because of who he wants us to be in him, right? The other thing that we see is that um, in, in the verse like 2 Corinthians 3.18, uh, Paul tells us, he says, we're beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord being transformed into the, his same image from glory to glory. And so when we think about that, and we think of this concept of a mirror, so we can actually be people who, when others look at us, they don't just see us, but they see God in us. They see his reflection. And I think that that is one of the things that David is pointing out. He's saying, when you become radiant, you're not shining your own light. You are shining the light of him who gave it to you in the first place. One more example that I love to think of is Moses. When um, he is leading the Israelite people because God is, uh, he's like the go-between between God and his people. And he goes up to this mountain on a uh, regular basis and he's able to commune with the Lord. And when he comes down, do you know what it says about him? In Exodus 34, it says that as Moses comes down the mountain, they have to veil his face because his face is literally shining. It's literally giving off light. It is radiant. Um, and I think that even though we don't go around and having to veil our faces because, you know, I read the word this morning, so uh, you might like need to put your sunglasses on before you see me. If you read the word in the morning, maybe you're not physically giving off light, but you're, you've had that time where you've communed with the Lord. You're tasting and seeing for yourself. You are keeping up that relationship that the Lord desires to have with you. And from that, people will see, people will notice a difference in you. And so... One thing that we're, we're, we've been talking about this radiance, right? But what does this radiance do? Like, what is the point? Um, this is where we see that understanding who God is and what he has promised gives us confidence like any other. Um, <laughs> if you'll let me, I, I have a funny story for you real quick. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Kaylee and I celebrated our second anniversary. Um, and one of the things that, you know, we started last year, of course, because it was our first, but... 
uh, we want to keep this thing going is for our anniversary, we buy each other gifts that kind of go hand in hand, like tandem gifts. Last year, we both bought each other like a new pair of shoes um, and then got to like wear them around together and we like matching in that way. And this year we were thinking about it and we were like, man, it'd be so cool to buy like a couple of bikes. Um, it'd be so cool to be able to ride those around uh, together, get home from work and you know, say we get a little bit of exercise in. And so we think to ourselves, easiest place to buy bikes, let's just go to Walmart. And so we head to the Walmart on Zebulon Road. Um, and let me give you a little bit of context. Um, we've gone to dinner before that. And so we show up to Walmart at like eight o'clock. And I don't know if you know this, but Walmart after eight o'clock is like an interesting place to be <laughs> for a number of different reasons. Uh, we get in there and first we're, we're just looking around for some couple of different like school supply stuff, things that we just need to take care of before we actually head to the bike area. Because we figure, you know, once we get to the bikes, we're going to grab them, we're going to have to wheel them through the store. So it's, it's, we want it to be our last stop. So we spend about half an hour before that going around to, to these different aisles and getting a bunch of different things. Um, and then we come to the bikes, finally. It's about 8.30 at this point. And we're like, man, let's look at these different bikes because they had a great selection. And so we're looking. It takes us about 10 minutes to finally decide which ones that we want. And then we realize oh, there are three tiers of bikes here, and both of us want bikes that are on the very top, of course. The ones that like, say, no self-help. Don't do that because you're, Walmart knows how we operate, right? You're going to try to sue us when you fall off a ladder or something. And so I'm looking around. I'm like, okay, well, let me just find somebody to help us real quick. And before I even make it out of the aisle, this girl comes walking down the aisle with a little cart and she, she clearly works there. It's like her birthday or something. She has a tiara on her head. And we're like, oh, hey, happy birthday. And then we're like, hey, can you help us get these bikes down? And she, I mean, I don't blame her. She's shorter than I am. So I'm like, what are you gonna do? You can go call somebody, that's totally fine. And she's like, yeah, I'll have somebody over here in just a second. So she leaves and we wait about 10, 15 minutes. And we're like, they're probably just a little bit busy. 15 minutes goes by and nothing. And so I'm like, okay, well, let me just make sure that they haven't forgot about us. I'll go to the front real quick. So I walk to the front of the store um, and I see that there are a couple of different people and some of them are helping people like in self-checkout, um, but these representatives of Walmart, um, I see one of them not really doing anything. So I'm like, hey, do you mind calling somebody to get us some help so that we can get this bike down from the top tier of the bike rack in Walmart? And at this point, I'm a little exasperated, of course, because I'm like, man, we've already been in here for a little bit. I've got to go to work tomorrow. It's getting kind of late. Um, and she's like, oh my gosh, okay, yes, yeah, yeah. We'll get somebody over there in just a second. I head back to the bikes and we wait another 20 minutes. <laughs> that 20 minutes goes by. And y'all, most of, if you don't know my wife, Kaylee is the most incredible, most loving, most patient person that I've ever met in my life. And I look at her after this 20 minutes gone by and she's got this look in her eyes. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, this is scary. And she's like, I'm going to find somebody. And I'm like, you do that and I'm going to pray for them while you leave. <laughs> and so she leaves. She comes back after another five to 10 minutes. And of course, she's got this story of like, there's like five people up there that work for Walmart. They're not doing nothing. It takes them like 10 minutes to even recognize that she's up there and go to help her. And then when they finally go over and be like, hey, what can we do? She's like, they were still no help because they were like, oh, the person who does the bikes, they've already gone home for the day. And so she comes back, and when she tells me that, uh, this is another 15 minutes, by the way, I mean, it is literally 9.30, 9.45 at this point, she tells me, I don't think anybody's coming. We should just go home. And in my mind, I'm like, that would be an hour and a half of time that I wasted sitting in Walmart for nothing. <laughs> I'm not okay with that. So I go do a quick look around, check the aisles. Nobody's around. I go halfway across the store, grab a little ladder that I see, come back, 
we set it up. And at this point, I would have done that at the beginning if I wasn't like afraid that a, a Walmart employee was gonna walk by the aisle, see me and be like, oh, no, 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 you gotta get down, gotta get down. But at this point in my mind, I'm like, I don't care if they come over here. <laughs> like I want them to walk past this aisle and try to tell me to get down because I could be like, please take my place, <laughs> right? And so as I'm thinking in my mind, I would be vindicated in this, in this situation if anybody came here and tried to tell me to get down because we've been waiting for an hour and a half to try to get these bikes. That's all we want. And so I get on this ladder. I don't see a single soul wearing a Walmart vest. We get them down, we wheel them to the front, pay for them, and we're out of there. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, like, <laughs> I am not like a confrontational person. Generally, that's just not my personality. But in that situation, like, I had already experienced this hour and a half of waiting. I've experienced being shrugged off three different times by Walmart employees. And I'm thinking to myself, especially as I'm getting those bikes down, I'm just unashamed at this point, right? Like, I don't care <laughs> if somebody comes over and sees what I'm doing. And I think that that is exactly how we should see our walk in faith. It's exactly how we should see when we are unwilling to go and share the gospel, when we're unwilling to pray out loud in public because we're worried about what other people will think, we're worried about what they're gonna say, we're worried about being rejected if we even just invite somebody from our place of work to a church event right? They're going to shrug us off. They're going to think we're weird. They're going to just say no. But in reality, when we are spending time with the Lord day in, day out, when we have this relationship with him, we become radiant and that radiance should make us unashamed, right? That radiance should give us confidence unlike any other because we know at the end of the day, our God is a good God. We serve that God. He's all powerful and he has not only our best in mind, but he has the best in mind, which is above anything we could ever even comprehend. And that is a place where I find myself sometimes thinking after I feel a little timid about sharing with somebody um, the gospel or sharing somebody uh, that I'm a, a pastor or want to invite them to church. When I think to myself, I can't feel ashamed about this because I shouldn't. I have no reason to. In fact, I have all the reason in the world to be so incredibly confident in what I know God is doing, what I know God has done, what I know that he wants to do for the people around me. And so we see that this radiance that we have doesn't come from us. But why we can be unashamed is not just because of this radiance, but is because of his righteousness. We can, we can be unashamed when we go before the Lord because God sees us as righteousness. Second Corinthians 5.21, it says, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become in him his righteousness. So what does that mean? It means that when we stand before God one day, we've accepted Jesus as our Lord, we've accepted his sacrifice on the cross, God is not going to bring up all of these different things that we've done and all the different ways that we've failed. But instead, he will tell us, well done, good and faithful servant, because he sees Jesus in us. That is the point of Jesus' death on the cross. That is the point of his blood that covers us so that we can be radiant, so that we can be unashamed because of his righteousness, not because of our own righteousness. And so that brings us to why does that matter? Why does that matter for you right now? And it matters because to say taste and see, that's our plea to the lost. 
it's not about us. When we say, taste and see this, taste and see that, we're not telling them, listen, it's all gonna be okay um, right now because once you accept Jesus, everything's gonna be rosy, right? I mean, the hardest times that I've had to walk through in this life, that, and I'm sure most of you can say this as well in your own experience, the hardest things that you've experienced have likely come after that point in your life where you accepted Jesus as your Lord. Because that's not what placing Jesus in that position of authority in your life does. It doesn't all of a sudden make your life so easy and so uncomplicated. But what it does is it lets you see that every day that you spend with him, he transforms us into his image. Every single week that passes, every single month that passes, even the ones that are incredibly difficult, even those seasons that pass by where we feel so uh, distant from him, so distant from what he wants to do in us, all of it points back to the fact that he's still working in us. And as we become transformed into his likeness, as we become his righteousness, time after time what we see is that shines to the people around us. And we see that in, um, in Malachi 3.3, just a, a quick par paraphrase, the beginning of that verse actually says that God sits as a purifier and a refiner. And <laughs> out of context, you're like, what is he purifying? What is he refining? Especially because in that day, the audience of that verse would have heard those words and been like, what is, what is he purifying and refining? Because what they're thinking is like silver, precious metals, right? But what we've just talked about is how he wants us to be a mirror, to reflect his image in a way that shines to the people around us, in a way that shines right back to him. And as he sits and refines us and purifies us with, James calls these things trials, tribulations, things that are difficult to go through. As you trust the Lord to bring you through those things, what we see is that it kind of brings those impurities to the surface, just like the refining process does. And as God allows that heat to purify you, he scrapes the impurities off the surface. He gets rid of the things that don't glorify him. He gets rid of those things that we're maybe clinging onto so tightly that don't bring glory to his name and don't show others around us his glory. And in the end, what we're left with, what his goal for us is to be, is to be the silver, this precious metal that is so purified now that as it hardens, it's reflective. It's like a mirror. It reflects his glory because it's not in us. It's not our light and it's not our glory. We're simply reflecting him. Um, and that is what happens. That is what is going to happen if you allow God to truly transform you, if you allow him to work in you, no matter how hard it is, if you continue trusting in him and trusting that process that he has for each and every one of us. And finally, what we see with that mirror, with that radiance, with that unashamed nature that we can have because of all these things that he's done for us, because of how David is pleading with these men around him to magnify God with him, to even though they might not have a clue who God is, to exalt the Lord because he deserves it. It doesn't matter what you think about it. God deserves that praise, deserves that glory, des deserves that reverence. When we think about those things, when we think about this mirror and this radiance that we have, what we see is that even though it's difficult to tell the lost, taste and see because of their current situation. We're not telling them that it's gonna get better. We're telling them that they have the opportunity to be purified, to be refined, just as we have been. They have an opportunity to, even though they can't give any light in and of themselves, to reflect that light that comes only from the Lord, from spending time with him day in and day out. And what we see is that the loss will listen to us. The lost will listen because we glisten.
right? We see, hey, listen, don't. <laughs> I mean, is it really a sermon without one of those? Come on. <laughs> the lost will listen, though, because you glisten. The lost are going to lean in because they see something different about you. They will, even if they're not ready and willing right then and there to accept the Lord, you have planted that seed simply by being obedient, by spending time with the Lord day in and day out, even when it's difficult to going back just to the roots of our salvation, knowing that God wants so many different things for us that we can't even tell sometimes because they're all behind the scenes and we're just trusting in him. We have faith in him. Our hope is in him. And as we have this hope and this ridiculous faith to the outside world that they're looking in and they're seeing, man, these things are crazy because I know what they're walking through. I know the difficulty that this person just came out of, that you might've just come out of. And as you are shining his light, despite what you're walking through, man, that's a, such a great opportunity to be a witness, to witness to that person, to witness to that group of people that are also experiencing difficulty, to tell them, taste and see, taste and see for yourself. Are you willing to just let the Lord work through you like that? Um, and so um, before I pray, I just wanted to say like, if you're in this room today and you're thinking, man, I have not been living like that. You know that you are saved because you have that relationship with the Lord, but you're like, it's been hard lately. My walk with him has been difficult. I don't feel like I'm able to get that time in to be able to spend with him to where I could actually glisten in front of these other people because I, I just don't feel like I'm reflecting him. I feel like there's too many impurities still that he needs to take out first in order for me to look like him, in order for him to see his likeness in me, in order for me to feel like his righteousness. Then I wanna say to you this morning, that is, that's okay. Um, it is okay to feel like that, but it's not okay to stay that way. So as you go from here, if you take nothing else um, and if, you might be concerned about, man, I just feel like I'm not able to have a good witness because I don't feel like I'm experiencing these things for myself. Lean in. The Lord tells us that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And I've held onto that verse so tightly before because I feel like, man, the Lord's so far away. I feel like I'm in a season where I just can't feel him. And that's not what the Lord desires for us. There are times when you're going to experience that, that where you can't just run off of emotions and feelings because those will let you down. If your whole relationship with the Lord is based on just an emotional high, then what happens when the low times come? What happens when the hard things come? What happens when you just wake up when you're one morning and you're just like, I'm just tired. I just don't have it in me today. Then your relationship with the Lord suffers. But if your relationship with the Lord is based on knowing that he is good, knowing that you deserve to be confident because he wants to work in you because of his power, of his goodness, because of his mercy and grace, that's the starting point right there. If you don't feel like you can say to somebody else, hey, taste and see, tell yourself when you wake up in the morning, taste and see. Keep tasting, keep tasting because he is going to allow you to see. It might not be today, might not be tomorrow, but you will see his goodness in your situation. So if you'll bow your heads. Father, we're just thankful for this morning, God. We thank you for how you wanna move and work. Um, we're thankful for all the things that 
you're doing behind the scenes, Lord, that we're not even aware of. God, we pray this morning that as we look to you, um, as we hear that you want us to reflect your image, God, that we just allow you to work in us. Help us to understand that those trials that we're going through, those hard times that we're going through, are not just an opportunity for us to become more like you, they're an opportunity for us to witness to the people around us. God, as we are you know, hesitant sometimes to ask people around us to taste and see your goodness, we pray that you would remind us that we also need to wake up every day and taste and see your goodness for ourselves. We can't share that with others until we've experienced it and we're confident in it, in it for ourselves. But God, we know that you're there. We know that you want great things. And we know that even though you don't have to use us, you've chosen to use us. You've chosen to bring us into the fold, to adopt us as your children, and then to give us this mission, purpose, this responsibility, God, that we don't deserve to carry, but we're allowed to for your glory. And so we're just thankful for all of that. God, because we don't deserve any of it. And we pray that even when it's hard, you would remind us how even when we're unworthy, you are so totally worthy of it all. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.